If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Hey, everyone, welcome back. Uh, I know it's been a bit of time since the last podcast, um, but there is just too much craziness going on in the NBA world right now. So who better else to talk about the NBA other than Andrew Ramondi? So Andrew, welcome back on to the pod. Yeah, man. Happy to do it. It feels like it's been a little while. We never really, because of the timing of the bar exam and stuff like that, got to properly, you know, wrap up the finals or anything like that. But um, yeah, like because of the way all this stuff has gone, we're right into the off season. I mean, we had some fun trades and stuff, and then Saturday night hit. Like I was just kind of, or Friday night, I was just kind of sitting on my couch, decompressing after the work week, and it was like, holy fuck, it's free agency. You know what I mean? It feels like there's more of this build up. Like you spend some weeks, like you know, thinking about what's going to happen or like listening to podcasts about all this, but it just kind of happened. And I think it's almost been a little bit more fun this way. It feels a little bit more off the cuff than like the pageantry of it all. Um, So, so excited to break it all down with you. And yes, your patented NBA craziness line, but, but it's, I mean, it's, it's gotta be true in this case. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I I do kind of want to reiterate how it has, snuck up on us a little bit in terms of kind of getting our bearings all right because of the way the way the schedules worked out with COVID and everything like that um you know the off season pretty much like if it was a normal regular season we're pretty much in July right now and it's just really weird to kind of think all right middle of November when games would normally be playing um and the season pretty much starting in about a month or so uh which is pretty insane to think about um in that way but yeah like the draft ended up happening on Wednesday then free agency kind of gets going and it's just everything's all happening at once and I think the one thing that I realized kind of uh consuming all this NBA news was that there were things that I think normally on a normal schedule, we would come to expect this player's going to sign here, this guy's yeah. going there. Whereas this off season, it's kind of just sitting back and pretty much waiting for things to happen and being like, oh, didn't realize that would happen. Didn't see that coming. Um, and I feel like a lot of that has been the reaction coming from me um this off season so with that no, being said, yeah yeah so yeah, with that being point. said did you what's been like the most wow slash shocking move this off season where maybe um you just didn't see it happening yeah i mean i can't think of one move that i really did see happening at least majorly right I guess yeah. Chris Paul getting traded, period, like Chris Paul to the Suns was like, you weren't super surprised by that. And it's not like there have been any 
I mean, James Harden has not been traded after the, as of this recording, which, which could possibly happen. But um, other than, I guess, Chris Paul, like Drew Holiday getting traded, that didn't, to the Bucks. that didn't feel like it was on, like, the top three Drew destinations. I mean, Gordon Hayward, uh, Gordon Hayward going to Charlotte didn't certainly seem like a, a, like in his sort of top three outcomes. I mean, what else has happened? I don't even remember. Like, uh, but I, I think Drew is the thing I, I think about the most because it almost appears to have, although it wasn't the first trade, I don't know. It's kind of appears to have set this tone that I'm sort of seeing, which is this, although we've seen it before, this kind of, although the Gordon Hayward thing doesn't really fit in, it seems like we're seeing a lot of, uh, after a year of um, kind of like parody, NBA parody, or like at least relative NBA parody, or this thought that there are a bunch of teams that could win it, it seems like we're going to start to maybe trend, even though there are these ancillary pieces in the direction of powerhouses at the top of the conferences, um, which, uh, even, uh, which, and you're seeing that with some of these Lakers signings, I think as well. But but that's what stuck out to me before I before I start going too macro though. Would would you agree with me, or do you have something else in mind? No, I, I mean I think you hit the broad strokes of that, like all the big moves. Where didn't I mean you could conceivably see Chris Paul getting traded this off season. I I don't think that was out of the realm of possibility. It's just the destination was a little bit like, oh, okay. Didn't see that. Yeah. Like, didn't see that coming. The Drew Holiday one was very, to me, I thought that was very surprising that Milwaukee was like, all right, we're going to go in for this guy to keep Giannis, like conceivably keep Giannis and sign him to the Supermax and long-term deal. Um, and then, what other deal was there? Um, the Al Horford, I think, deal was not maybe on the gr- bigger, like, like as important as the Drew slash Chris Paul deal um, and slash all the rumors with Harden, Westbrook, all that stuff. But I, I thought that was all pretty fascinating just in terms of Philly's maybe direction as to where – um, they see themselves going into the future. So uh, one of the things I did kind of want to get your opinion on is with the Bucks, and we didn't even mention the Bogdanovich failed. Oh yeah, I mean, maybe from, yeah I, from the Bucks. Yeah, yeah but I, I guess I did kind of want to take the Bucks um, and their position in the league and whether or not you think Drew is the guy that's going to be moving the needle for them in terms of they gave up 20, the, their 2025, 2027 first pick swaps in 2024 and 2026. Um, George Hill, um, who else they give up? They also gave up Eric Bledsoe. Um, Yeah. Like, it's and it deep. looked at the time like they were giving up DiVincenzo and DJ Wilson. Right, also, right. Although that's not, who knows what will happen going forward. But yeah. 
Right, right. So currently constructed, it's like a four-team deal. Um, somehow, yeah. Stephen I mean, Adam, Stephen yeah, Adams, Stephen Adams is going deal. to yeah, Stephen Adams, New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, yeah uh, the I yeah that kind of side of things feels sort of fascinating. But um, I I think where you were going before I started to cut you off was this kind of idea of the Bucks giving up a lot really for Drew Holiday and kind of this idea of like you know, is this the guy who, was this the move they needed or something like that? And I'm not quite, I'm not quite sure it is. The, I kind of liked it more when it was in the context of this Bogdanovich deal happening um, also, because I kind of liked this idea. And I was, I remember well, I, this answer will just be rehashing a lot of text conversations with you that I've had with you. But um, I kind of liked the idea a little bit more that they were like, trading in on this depth, which had kind of gotten them so much regular season success for kind of a more top-heavy roster where you had a guy like Bogdanovich who was going to, who, to reiterate, they don't have, who who I thought would maybe be able to create a little offense in those kind of fourth-quarter type situations. And Drew Holiday, who they do have, who can kind of, I mean, who I guess you're relying on to be a little bit better of a clutch guy than Bledsoe was. He's giving you a little bit more defensive versatility than than Bledsoe was, um, and you know just just overall a little bit better of a player. Um, but like, is he the guy? Does he make me ton? Do do I think his do I think his presence makes them like uh, a five percent more likely to win the NBA championship? Maybe. Does he make them more likely to actually make it out of the East? Possibly. But to me, I mean, and we'll have to see what happens. Maybe I'll be wrong and I, you know, um, maybe I'll be wrong ab- about this because we won't know necessarily yet and it looks dumb. But I think this kind of move is the kind of move that keeps Giannis around or, or on the contrary, indicates that Milwaukee knows it's keeping Giannis around. And I think that's as important as anything else. You you know what I mean? The championship stuff will kind of come to pass, but the idea that Milwaukee will be at the top of the East for years to come, and it seems more likely after this move is made than prior to that, I think is important. And um, I, I, I wanted to make this point before I threw it back to you, just to kind of get everything out in the open, as opposed to you having to maybe ask me about it. But like, On the side of things of like what they gave up, I started to make this point to you and I I made it um, on Twitter as well. Um, That like when it comes to the kind of the the first round picks and the pick swaps and and all that, I'm not saying that like they won't get to, you know, 2025 or whenever that latest pick is. It's probably later than that, right? 2027. Exactly. Yeah, they'll probably, maybe they get to 2027 and they they regret one or two of those first round picks, you know. But like the thing about it is like, I, I think you have to reach a point when you know your team you know the moves you're making is going to guarantee that your first that your team is going to be near the top of of their respective conference standings and that your first round picks are therefore not going to be as valuable i think like it's almost like there has to be like a chart or something like that where like you know the the x axis is uh 
you know, the x-axis is like how bad it is to give up or no, is like how much you're, how good you're going to be. And the y-axis is like how bad it is to give up this pick or something like that. And I think like, as you get, it gets like exponentially not as bad to give up the picks when you know you're going to be really good for longer, basically, um, is, is what I'm trying to say. Like, throw in that fucking extra pick swap. Who cares? You're going to be really good anyway. So, um, like, I guess really that that was a long-winded answer that could be summed up in that kind of one sentence of, like, is Drew Holiday the guy? No, but he's a guy, and I think he's a guy who who puts that franchise in a in a better position than it was previously in a way that that seems worth it to me. Yeah, and I think you kind of summarized it really well at the end there in terms of what I was going to say is, do I think Drew Holiday is going to, you know, push them to championship level aspirations that this team has? I'm not entirely sure about that. Like, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it clearly makes them the top of the East at all, but I think what it does is it shows Giannis uh, that the front office is willing to make moves around Giannis to, and, and is willing to keep him in order to win now and make sacrifices for the future. Uh, and the fact that Giannis is this two-time MVP, um, that Milwaukee is never going to find a replacement for slash never will have a hope of drafting this once in a generation type of player. It's just not, it's not in the cards just to be like, yeah, we're going to be able to draft another guy like that. Um, You kind of have to make a move like this in order to keep Giannis. Now, obviously, it backfires if Giannis decides to just not sign the Supermax. Oh, yeah, totally. Right, right. I think that's, like, clearly the clear, like, message if, I mean, it's not worth it if he doesn't resign. But Yeah, it seems like there's also a possibility that he he resigns not the Supermax, but, like, maybe, like, a two-plus-one kind of just regular max extension, which, which I still think would be worth it for the most part for the, I mean, keeping him, keeping a top, you know, three probably player in the league is, is a huge win in and of itself. Um, But, but keep going. I just wanted to make that point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like the, the thinking of this front office is that, Hey, we're going to keep Giannis um, or this is a move that might potentially sway Giannis into staying and the fact that it's it gets him maybe five ten percent more likely to sign with us or re-sign and stay in Milwaukee then it's worth it in the end and Drew Holiday is not a bad player like yeah exactly I was gonna say let's be clear about it uh let me be clear um that uh, he makes their team better we're making the point that like we don't think it necessarily pushes them over the top but I, I certainly believe it was a move that upgraded their team. Right, right. And I think in a vacuum, people would be like, wow, that's a lot for Drew yeah. Holiday. Um, of course. I think, I think both of us can agree with that. 
Um, yeah. But I just think when you take all the other things into consideration, like Giannis's contract scenario and things like that, then it starts to make more sense as to why they give up uh, for, for in, in effect, four first rounders, like those two pick swaps, because it gets Giannis more likely to sign. Now, I think the interesting thing to kind of like transition a little bit is to talk about the Bogdanovich kind of failed trade um, a little bit and where, like, like, did Bogdanovich, is he the guy that would have kind of cemented them as the, the team in the East to beat? Or would that have just been like just another incremental, hey, this it'll get Giannis to even – you know, stay yeah. five to ten percent even more. Uh, that's my it, thinking on this. It's on this tough situation. to say. It's tough to say. I I think it would have made them seem. It would have made the. I what I was kind of trying to get at before when I brought it up briefly was like, to me, it would have been this more like philosophical move of like, oh, they actually sort of transformed their team as opposed to upgraded one position. Um, I think it would have been going more in that direction. Like when I was throwing out those percentages, I think they would have been higher, but no, I don't think it would have made them like the clear East favorites or like put them all above the Lakers in people's eyes or something like that. And who knows, maybe there's still uh, moves to come on their part. Um, I, I don't know what you think about it, but maybe I can repose this kind of hypothetical to you in conjunction with your thoughts on the Bogdanovich thing. Cause I thought this was, especially I'll put it like this, especially in light of not getting Bogdanovich to, to kind of undercut our own points we just made. I thought Zach Lowe brought this up on his podcast and I was like, whoa, sort of, because we both were, Pretty. I remember being super critical of this decision at the time, and you love him. Shouldn't they have just kept Malcolm Brogdon? Like, uh, shouldn't you have like gotten seventy percent of the way there and not had to give up so much if you had just kept Malcolm Brogdon? And it kind of mm-hmm. almost showed. Like, isn't it? We we kind of like now we're gonna praise the Milwaukee front office for doing what they had to do to keep Giannis, but you would have put yourself in you would have maybe been able to do it in a and who knows maybe they go about the same way in the playoffs and they need to make a move anyway but um may is this possible is it possible that like when you kind of read between the lines these moves are sort of this like whoops we kind of thought we had enough and now we need to try and show a willingness to to retool things yeah and i think uh, there there are a couple things that changed i think when you kind of transport the thinking back then uh, or transport yourself and and try to think about what their situation was back then in terms of they signed eric bledsoe to that mid-season they extended him in the middle of the season i believe um and then playoffs come around and brogdon's outperforming bledsoe and bledsoe has that pretty awful uh postseason where he just kind of couldn't make a shot uh yeah uh, last postseason and then it started to be like all right we paid Bledsoe all this money and extended him so we kind of have to roll with this guy um 
and then they just didn't want to go into the tax for Malcolm Brogdon. So, and, and for me, like my thinking was like, uh, like you probably want to sign Brogdon. Like he's, he was a useful player for them. Um, and I think this is kind of their whoops. We made a mistake in terms of the guy that we chose. We chose Bledsoe yeah. over Brogdon basically. Yeah. And that's a good we word. made a mistake. And I think that just shows like the fine lines as to what these GMs and front offices are dealing with when making decisions on who, who they decide to um, offer uh, extensions to. Um, and when they don't end up performing, they have, they actually end up compounding the mistake because they have to get out of, um, the mistake of paying Bledsoe that, that contract. Um, so I, I think it brings up really interesting points in terms of, um, roster construction, how to build and how to keep assets, um, for an NBA uh, roster and whether or not it's worth it to get, go into the tax for maybe not like the high level guy, because you're pretty much going to go into the tax for um, star players or or superstar players. But are you willing to go into the tax for pretty good players that might not ever become an all-star, but are solid rotation pieces probably like Brogdon could probably be like a number five or number four guy on a championship team. Yeah. And you could, and you could, but I mean, we don't want to go too. we talked about not going super long, but there is this sort of interesting question to be had, like from a, I mean, Milwaukee being a small market probably plays into this and being maybe a little cheap plays into this. But I think there is this argument of like, is it harder to build a team given the financial incentives structure of the NBA and the salary cap structure? Is it way harder to build a team around one superstar than two superstars? Because if you Mm -hmm. have one, you kind of end up quote unquote overpaying for these good, but not necessarily all-star level players or like a Chris Middleton type, you know what I mean? Or like a bunch of really good role players Whereas if you have two superstars, it's kind of like, okay, they're making up the majority of your cap and we'll have one more kind of mid-level guy and then we'll fill in the way we can. You know what I mean? So, so right, maybe right. it's harder to some, to some, to some respect. I think that would be like, I was thinking about all the LeBron teams pre like love and Kyrie and kind of how they were constructive. And it always felt like there was salary bloat just from kind of, well, we need to keep the guys we have because we need to keep the star happy. You know what I mean? So maybe it's Mm -hmm. a little easier said than done philosophically. Um, uh, Yeah. I, I think, I think the best thing to do is kind of move on and talk about the other, other deals. Talk about Chris Paul, um, and yeah. maybe how how do you see the Suns kind of how do you project the Suns to do this season um, with Chris Paul? Um, and do you think this do you think Chris Paul's presence is enough where he kind of does his does his thing with the Suns um, like he did with OKC this um, this season to a point where it pushed them to close to second round um, playoff result um, got to game seven in round one this year. 
Um, do you think it does enough to get the Suns into um, second round of the playoffs? Um, it I, it seems like they're pretty firm. Uh, a lot of the NBA talking heads have them clearly making the playoffs, but does it get yeah. any farther than that? No, probably not, but it's kind of another – I guess this is like our like I'm having this weird like almost NBA conservatism in in my takes tonight, but it's kind of a no. They're probably like the sixth seed at highest, and I don't see them getting to the second round unless Booker and Paul have this sort like unless Booker goes to like almost like a Harden Light type level, you know what I mean? And and that ends up being the model, which which I don't really foresee. But but I think it's worth it to I mean the Suns are a franchise who have uh, in the aftermath of like that kind of I guess whatever that last hurrah with with Nash when was that 2010 or something like that they've pretty much been cellar dwellers and and getting to the sixth seed is worth something you know what I mean I I mean they're they're I feel like they're going to be sort of like unquestionably they were already ascending to this status I think. In the bubble, I remember a lot of uh, sort of NBA or friends who were like a little bit more kind of like ancillary NBA fans talking about enjoying the Suns. And I think they're going to be kind of one of the most likable NBA teams uh, going into the season. Um, And I think there is this kind of question of like, after this year, what do you do? Because you're now saddled with however much is left of Chris Paul's contract. And like, yes. He was great in OKC because you kind of knew he was only there for one year as this this bridge gapper. And what what do you bridge him to? Kind of, you know what I mean? As eventually he's going to to get old, and you know there's going those sort of issues going to emerge. Um, but I think like for now it's perfectly fine to just kind of enjoy it. I I think it will be fun and interesting to see what what his presence is able to do for a guy like Devin Booker, um, you know, uh, they're going to be a fairly balanced team as kind of these, some of these, obviously Ubre won't be there anymore, but kind of some of these guys who have, who have emerged, um, uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton's taken steps, guys like Dario Saric have, have shown stuff like, it seems like uh, Paul has been able to sort of elevate those kinds of guys throughout his career. Um, so, so I guess really the the point I'm trying to make is that it's hard for me to it's hard for me to really project in a in a super confident way going beyond that kind of generalized. They're going to be improved and probably make the playoffs this year. But at the same time, I don't see a huge problem in in not being able to do that. Yeah, I, I I kind of see it the same way you do in terms of yeah, I think it moves the needle for them to make the playoffs. I mean, they went on that incredible run uh, in the bubble to almost get a spot the the last uh, the eighth seed um, in the West. But I I just feel like there's Still, like we still need to see some, like more growth out of Booker. Yeah, and then Aiton needs to 
Aiton needs to show that he can stay on the floor for 30 to 35 minutes and be healthy. Um, and when he, he's been on the floor, he's been fairly good um, from what I remember from last season. But he, he's been fairly decent. It's just I wonder if the center position um, is kind of being this antiquated position and you just have to be this unbelievably unbelievable athlete um, slash rum, uh, rim runner type of uh, presence um, that I'm not sure where his place in the NBA goes um, unless he really can establish himself as a 2010 type of guy, and we'll see if um, he's yeah. able to do that. You totally, you totally raise a great point there, and I kind of want to bookmark what you just said if we end up talking about the draft especially in regard to James Wiseman. Um, but what mm-hmm. it does, like what you talk, what that kind of little spiel you just went on uh, kind of illuminates to me is that like what Chris Paul did was like eliminate that narrative that was going to be surrounding them of like, was that bubble thing for real? Right. Like, and we'll never kind of know now, but that was going to be the narrative, right? Like it was going to be us debating about like, well, are they like an eighth seed or like, are they going to have a setback? And you could have kind of seen it going either way. And you could have seen questions around does you could have seen like the Booker trade demand on the horizon or something like that. And Chris Paul and getting Chris Paul just kind of like makes all that go away and makes them just a playoff team. Right. So, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I, I kind of understand the move from that perspective. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And I understand it even, even without that perspective, but it kind of turns those questions you've illuminated and illuminated just now into more like fun side plots and things that are like into integral to the actual success of their team. Like, yes, they play into like their overall ceiling, of course, but they don't, you know, make it so that they need those things to happen to make the playoffs. Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, so next trade that I did want to talk about, or trades or team that I did want to talk about, maybe they might not be on your radar, but I brought them up earlier, um, was the Philadelphia 76ers. And Al Horford ends up getting traded. Um, yeah, I completely forgot about that until you brought it up. Like, I remember it happening, but... Jesus, yeah, and yeah. all roads lead to OKC in some respects, right? I know, seriously. So he gets traded um, uh, along with a couple prospects, a first rounder um, to OKC. Um, who else? Did, uh, and then they end up receiving Danny Green and Terrence Ferguson uh, for Al Horford. And I think another trade that was kind of the sneaky under the radar trade was this Josh Richardson for Seth Curry trade. Yeah. That I think a lot of people were kind of, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but for me, I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. Um, Like I, it just kind of seemed like, all right, Philly is resetting and kind and has been basically like, yeah, that Al Horford deal that we did just last off season was a mistake. Um, did, yeah. Like we figured out, Oh, we can't pretty much play 
Embiid, Horford, and Tobias Harris all together at the same time. And it's just a weird fit, and it gets really clunky. Um, And Josh Richardson's just not the guy next to Ben Simmons in the backcourt, I guess, is maybe my reading on it. And maybe they were trying to get a little bit more shooting, uh, filling uh, filling that spot with Seth Curry. So what do you think about Philly's moves in and as a whole and in terms of where they're thinking uh, where they're thinking is in terms of uh the future there's a lot of James Harden rumors uh, possibly going to Philly maybe uh trade centered around uh Simmons so do you see any um validity to those and where you see this uh Philly team going well, it's hard for me to get a beat on the Harden thing anymore. Like, I feel like we almost, I don't know how you feel about it, and I'm not trying to, like, just knock a subject off of our to-do list, but, like, it feels like the Harden talk, like, got so loud a week ago and then just, like, almost completely went away. Like, it's hard to really f- feel out where that's going at this point. Like, to me, my gut says Brooklyn or nothing right now but i who knows um it seems like simmons a package around simmons would probably be the best i don't know if that's true or not is a simmons uh centric package better than a um better than a package centered around lavert and whatever else alan i i don't know i would probably say yes just from the perspective of giving you a higher wattage asset to kind of work work with as you kind of rebuild um and maybe more of a better unit to run a bad team but but setting all that aside um and and kind of saying drawing a question mark next to the Harden thing functionally it's interesting you look at this this starting lineup and you see you know you're right it is kind of the idea right was like when um when Daryl Morey was hired as the 76er GM, which is something that's happened since we, we last did a podcast and it's kind of like number 50 on the list of big NBA things that have happened. Since right. Exactly. Off season. There was kind of this idea of like, well, what can he really do? Right. You know what I mean? Like this, this roster or this cap situation, they're so, sort of limited in in what what they can do that like you you kind of wondered but you look at that that kind of lineup of like you know the Simmons Curry uh Green Paris uh Embiid construction you know now adding like guys like Dwight Howard to the roster or whatever you know whatever you can kind of just set that aside but he did a fairly kind of low-key rebuild right I not rebuild but like uh uh, reboot you know what I mean like it's the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man to the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man or something like that and I think it it's hard for me to I mean I guess it's hard to extricate my view of this from the fact that I really liked the Horford, whatever construction, the old, the Tobey Maguire construction at the time and kind of was sold on this idea of like maybe a path to a championship is this super long defensive kind of have Simmons kind of take more control. Um, 
uh, idea of things, and it obviously didn't work out. And, like, yes, I will fully admit the Horford signing is was an obvious failure. But you do wonder if the pendulum swinging in the other direction a bit. And I don't mean that to say that I think they won't necessarily be better in this, in this construction or like be better this year than they were last year or well suited to regular season success this year than last year. But especially when you get into moves like the, like uh, to isolate the Richardson for Curry deal specifically, you kind of look at that and you go like, to me, you go, okay, I've always been a little bit of a Josh Richardson fan, and I, I know Curry's game a little bit because he spent a year with the Blazers. But you go like, all right, what are you getting there? Okay, better shooting, yeah. But Josh Richardson, I mean, I can pull up basketball reference and see, but yes, Curry's more along those 40% lines, but it's not like Richardson was like a 32% shooter. He was like a 36% shooter, maybe 35 or something like that. And you also go, well, people might have this idea of like, oh, well, Curry can kind of run, pick and roll more, like do more ball handling stuff and take a load off of Simmons. But I'm not really sure I buy that idea either because Curry, Curry never really struck me as like a really a, a true combo guard type. I think he's a two guard who can occasionally bring the ball up or initiate the offense or whatever. And Josh Richardson was I, it's hard for me to evaluate how well he did this in the uh, in Philadelphia last year without being like an avid league pass watcher. But Richardson was known as a guy who could run pick and roll too, right? So Mm -hmm. it's not like that. I guess really the kind of my long-winded explanation is to say this idea of like, and maybe they couldn't have done it, but like, I like the idea of uh, Harris being able to kind of play the four full time, right? Like if you're stuck with him, that is probably what you have to do. And Mm -hmm. I just don't know if like moving all these parts or whatever it was like, completely necessary or was just kind of a retool for the sake of a retool or you can make the argument it's almost ignoring the is it possibly almost this cover-up for the true fact that the real problem is Ben Simmons in the first place you know what I Mm. mean and you're constantly trying to reshuffle the pieces it's not reshuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic is it isn't a great idea but like this idea of like you have like two gigantic pieces of furniture that obviously look like shit together. So you keep trying to like swap in new accents and you buy a new lamp and you, you know, repaint the walls and you're like, no, I just need to get rid of, I have two couches right next to each other and I need to get rid of one, you know, clearly Um, don't work together. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so I don't know if that's the case. I'm kind of just bouncing things off the wall but especially with that ha- that um, the Curry for for Richardson deal, and maybe we'll look dumb. Like Maury generally has a pretty good beat on these things, so I should probably give him a little bit more credit than I'm. Uh, and by, by, when I say these things, I mean kind of those like finding those guys to like be the three through five pieces of a starting lineup. But um, something about that trade specifically kind of raised this not red flag necessarily but just kind of 
this idea of like, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade this all really is, but, but do you see it differently? Like you were, I I'll say it once and I've, I, I've said it a million times, like you had a great beat on that Sixers um, on the kind of Horford construction of the Sixers being a little bit doomed from the start. So did you see this as, as fully all positive or did, was, was there a, do you think it might've been a little bit of an overcorrection as well? Um, I, I kind of, think it's one of those things where it just wasn't working like if you saw the team play last season it just wasn't working um and the fact that they were you know they had to attach the first rounder to to Horford because of this ginormous contract and everything like that but the fact that they were able to get out of the like get out of it and get like Danny Green who's like a you know, he's a guy on a champ. He was a guy on the championship winning team. Spreads the floor, kind of. Uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, usually known to spread the floor doesn't do it as much in the last maybe year and a half or so. But right, right. but yeah. ostensibly should spread the floor. Right, like Seth Curry kind of does that same exact thing. Yeah, no, um, definitely does. Right, so those. I mean, those two guys, like, give you that shooting around someone like Simmons that is not – needs the ball in his hands and is going to be in control. And, like, I think what Maury is trying to do is trying to construct a roster around Simmons's talents because I think Embiid can – while you do need to run things for Embiid, like, at this – like, he's going to be able to fit in – um, a lot more different types of roster constructions in comparison to someone like Simmons, um, where the ball with the ball in his hands, it makes a lot of sense. But if he's not the guy handling the ball and like doing all those things, then it just becomes like, all right, what are we actually doing here? Um, so I think more is trying to put his own spin to it. I'm not sure it's going to work, um, to perfection. And I think ultimately what's going to happen is maybe this season ends up happening and they get to the fourth seed again, or whatever seed they get. And they end up losing in the first or second round. And they're like, all right, this wasn't it. We're going to have to like, there's going to be possible trade rumors for Simmons and, like all this stuff is going to start creeping up and they'll start poking around at uh, different trade possibilities, which I think is probably what's going to end up happening. The, there's this. The, it, it, yeah. It's funny now that you mentioned it, like there's this legal concept of good faith, right? And you, mm-hmm. you never, you don't really know, like you, you'd be sure that Maury upon taking the Sixers job insured with like Josh Harrison, the ownership group or, or Elton brand or whoever he had to talk to, you'd assume he insisted that he be allowed to do whatever he wanted, whether that be trade Simmons or what have you. But when you kind of characterize that in the way you did, what he did almost smacks of, and we're probably shitting on them a little bit, more than we should be like I still think they're going to be in the top half of the east if they were the two seed I wouldn't like necessarily be super surprised right but, yeah like, yeah I would have been almost, yeah. but the I, the point I was trying leading up to was like you almost like 
make it seem like it almost seems like you could kind of think of this being like Maury's good faith effort to make the construction work before he really starts tearing into it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think that like well, I tried really good to do, way of doing like it. I tried to put my spin on what you guys have currently, and if that doesn't work, like then I'm going to start like really messing around with shit. Yeah, I I could totally see that, and you know the the hardened stuff is yeah exactly and if the and hardened think, stuff happens who even then then wrong then you know then he got to do it right away and it would right. be and super I, fascinating depending on what they else they had to give up besides Simmons yeah and I mean I think you do it ten times out of ten oh uh, yeah like like there's no questions like in terms of like are we Simmons like are we gonna be able to withstand giving up Simmons for Harden I think you just do it no matter what um so I wonder I I just wonder how that Harden situation plays out um obviously my nets have been talked about we can we can talk about that towards the end of the podcast um but yeah I I'm just just in terms of the way Maury gonna construct this team I think he's gonna try this for a year it's not going to work, and then they'll he's going to start poking around, um, possibly, and drum up some trade rumors for for Simmons. Um, and I think that's probably where I see it going. The one last deal that I kind of wanted to bring up, or one last trade I wanted to bring up, and then it could get us into uh, different teams' signings and off-season draft picks and things like that is uh the Dennis Schroeder trade uh to the Lakers uh from you know the the team that we've been talking about uh mostly as the the willing trade partners um and yeah, if we were smart like if we were not smart but like if we were super creative like or if we were like an artsy NBA podcast we would have framed this whole narrative we would have been like the first team you want to talk about is the Oklahoma City Thunder? Why would we want to do that? Well, because I know. they're involved in every single major move we wanted to talk about. Um, but yeah, keep keep going. Sorry. Yeah, so it would have been them and the Pelicans, like with the, the amount yes. of picks and pick swaps and True. all the things that they have. So we would have probably had OKC. I'll, I'll make sure to put them in the description to the podcast as the team oh, to yeah. be like, hey, this is the team that we're going to be mostly talking about. But uh the reason why I bring this deal up is um, I think it's one part of the off season for LA, um, the Lakers in terms of the types of depth pieces they added while Schroeder's not like on the level of Chris Paul or um, just like um, maybe some of the other guys we talked about in Drew holiday, like the other point guards that were traded um, the amount that the Lakers gave up for Schroeder, who proved to be a useful piece for OKC as their sixth man last year, um, like he did a lot of good things for OKC last year as that third guard behind Chris yeah. Paul and Shea. And I just feel like to get him for Danny Green and a first rounder, like a late first that the Lakers traded, um, who ended up being uh, Jaden McDaniels. Um, Like that's a deal that 
if your like championship window is like as small as the Lakers is with LeBron being at the helm with AD, like you're doing that deal every time. Like Schroeder's been really solid for OKC. He put up, I believe, like 15 to 20 points a game last season. Um, and he's a guy that'll be useful for them in crunch time. I feel like he'll probably play for them in crunch time. Um, they ended up signing Wes Matthews, uh, another depth piece. Um, I believe that we, the Montrez, uh, Harrell, um, signing that they ended up signing. He, he's another guy that fills out for them. Another te- like another guy, Marcus Saul just signed with them right before we got on this podcast. So they added four fairly decent like depth pieces to a team that just won the NBA finals. Like I like when we did our NBA playoff preview podcast, I didn't I, I thought the Clippers were the deepest team. I thought the Clippers were gonna win the finals and you know the Lakers proved that both of us wrong and I just felt like the Lakers just didn't have enough pieces and players and now it just feels like if LeBron and AD perform the way they do like this team is stacked like in terms of yeah depth, yeah so much yeah depth. yeah you're right because I was about to say I certainly think I mean the one thing I will push back on you a little bit by the way, while fully agreeing with the prem, and you're going to say like, well, I, I like I know it's not like you were Mr. Dennis Schroeder prior to the OKC season oh, either. Yeah, yeah. I still, while still agreeing with your premise that it's a great trade for them because you you raised the great point of like once you're that championship level team, like the amount of space you have to like truly tinker or truly make you know a real change you know what I mean not that Truder's like a a super material change but to kind of even get a new a guy of that caliber in on your team um it's difficult and I agree that it is a trade you make 10 times out of 10 or whatever however you phrase it but um to to just say like the thing about Schroeder like you do have that wonder of like was that one kind of, and not that he was ever like a bad player, but those Hawks years, you got a little, got a little kooky down the stretch and, and who knows, like what I kind of see it happening. I think there will be funny moments of like Twitter, NBA Twitter, making fun of him for like going heat check mode and shooting them out of a game or like, him getting yelled at by LeBron, like Mario Chalmers or something like that. I think that will happen, but I think he kind of, when you look at like the role that Rondo played for them in the playoffs, like down the stretch, right? Like you kind of look to Schroeder to be a guy who can maybe provide those, obviously not defense or anything necessarily, but to kind of provide similar type of things, ancillary ball handling, a little bit of, you know, an extra floor general type guy. And obviously he has more shooting ability than Rondo does. Um, but he kind of seems like a, a, a definite upgrade in, in that on, on that position. And, and you made the point and like, it's true. Cause I was thinking the same thing. Their roster got better, but as we're talking about it, I'm going to realize I'm realizing that 
like the take going into next year is going to definitely be the Lakers are prohibitive favorites, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in fact, the contrarian move I'm going to have to take, I'm already realizing is picking the Clippers to come out of the West because everyone's going to be picking the Lakers after this off season. Um, yeah. Like they, they kind of, it's funny. Like they won the championship with us having those concerns about depth and then proceeded to basically get more depth. Right. Although, Although you could make the argument that like, well, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's not like people like JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard who have been replaced by Montrezl Harrell and Marcus All. Like they're upgrades, sure, but like they had already had guys who were fairly solid in those positions, right? Like you kind of traded out Wesley Matthews for Green, which you which you put as about neutral. Like, you know, it, it's not like they have like a mil I guess the point I'm trying to make is like it's not like they have X amount more guys necessarily than they did last year. They just have better guys in those spots. But, um, but uh, yeah, I kind of, well, I've been so good at summing up all my points too, but basically I, I agree with everything you said. And like, I think they made themselves at the very least a more fun, like I think they will be more fun to watch from night to night in the regular season after these moves and they like they kind of are shifting that narrative a bit from like okay it's LeBron and AD to everyone else to like oh this is a fairly well-rounded team that is anchored around LeBron and AD right yeah totally agree and I, I mean obviously it hinges on what LeBron and AD do like if one of them goes down injured anything like yeah, that of course. like it's you know it's gonna fall apart but like it just feels like the guys that they added and who they replaced it seems like they're maybe just even a little bit better than the guys that they replaced and the fact that they got they got even a little bit better after this uh off season um and the season that they had which resulted in the championship I mean, that's pro- that's a positive for them. And the fact that I think, you know, I don't know if you saw some of the Twitter response, like Patrick Beverly in reaction to Harold leaving the Clippers and kind of being like, what is happening? Or like or he had like a, a couple of emojis in response to Harold uh, leaving, like why is he leaving for them type of thing, which was kind of mm. fascinating and plays into well, the – the whole LA I mean, versus LA thing. The, you have to compare them to the Clippers, right? Because the Clippers off season, it's not like you they needed to retool or anything like that. I mean, but uh, what's the move they made? I forget what the move they made is. Like my brain is so fried. Oh, the Clippers did they get a new center? In? Third, yeah, Serge Ibaka. Yeah, yeah, Serge Ibaka. Up... Actually, right. now Serge Ibaka is a pretty, pretty, pretty good one. Um, but the Clippers kind of have taken more of that mode of like, kind of like, get move a couple pieces. It's a less uh, all-encompassing upgrade than the Lakers have done. I guess was the overall point I could try and say. And even you could argue a little bit more of maybe an addition by subtraction approach kind of thing. Um, it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like Harold was like really 
digging the kind of Clipper chemistry too much throughout the last season. And it's possible that they were like, well, maybe just kind of moving him for a guy like Serge Ibaka, who, although like, I, yeah, I would say Serge Ibaka is probably a better player than Montrez Harrell, but they just have different, a guy with a different skill set and maybe a better suited skill set to, um, to their team. But it's not like they're making a lot of other crazy moves. You know what I mean? Then there's like Landry Shamit for um, the, why am I wow I'm Luke Kennard completely running out of steam yeah Luke Kennard um, so you know what I mean like when you look at that it's less of a it's definitely less shiny than than what the and you know re-signing Marcus Morris which is great but like he was already on your team right so right so yeah. you know it's it's a little bit in the LA versus LA thing it seems like at least the PR battle is, is, is won by, is won by the Lakers. Yeah. I, I, I would say that um, if I, if I had to choose a team and I'm curious to hear your response, who are you choosing out of those two teams? Oh, well, no, I'm, I'm going to probably end up choosing the Clippers, but I think it's going to be sort of a contrarian play more than anything. Like I think okay. the stock it's more of a buy low-ish on the Clippers thing than a, I'm super doubting the Lakers. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's more of a kind of narrative-driven slash, uh, slash almost analytical play than me thinking, like, the Lakers, something about the Lakers' moves was bad. Uh, what about you? Are, you? are you just sticking with sort of that? what I think will be the conventional wisdom of, of the Lakers or are you kind of with me? I'm actually kind of with you with the Clippers. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of like my pride kicking in, in terms of maybe it's both of our prides kicking in from uh, our prediction. I know. I feel like this podcast to some extent, it feels like this podcast, like are we slowly mind melding on all these things, NBA? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We're eventually yeah. we're going to have the same t- like it's just going to be us speaking at the same time, saying the same thing, like in unison completely. Yeah. But exactly. it's possible it's possible that we're also too prideful. Like that is that is a valid point. Yeah, it's just like I wasn't wrong about this. Like if there was a somewhat of a normalish season and it's not really gonna be that normal this season either. But um I still think Clippers are better than the. Well, the other hot take. Well, the other hot take, at least in the in the regular season, will be, and this will be the thing, like Bill Simmons or whoever, when they're, it will be like the Lakers are the prohibitive favorites, but Bill will be like, I don't know, like you know, it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt to have been playing so much before with the regular season starting the regular season coming up so quick. Like I think they're gonna falter in the in the first couple months. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. are definitely going to say that, and that might be warranted. But but we're a little bit too far out to to be getting to that that level. Yeah, totally agree on things yet. Probably. Um, right. So, so I so think next, where, where we go yeah, from go here. I think we just we kind of take the draft and free agency and any other moves like I'm assuming we're going to do Blazers and Lakers in in a little bit and we'll kind of get to those things um in turn but just start rattling teams off to me or rattling kind of 
okay. storyline yeah. well, points off and, and I'll kind of react to them. I'm, I'm down to do right. that. So, I, so we'll do kind of like a, like a mini quick hitter type of thing. And like, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see, we'll get our reactions back and forth. First place to start off, and we're going to kind of go signings, draft picks, all that stuff. and like what Yeah, I think just are. mix it all together, right? Right. Especially this year with the draft, I think we both felt the same way of, like, just a lot less time to think about it than usual. Like, you know, it's not like – you maybe you'll have it, but, like, I don't have this idea of, like, once you got beyond the kind of high-level things of – you know, the sleepers and, you know, blah, 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 and stuff like that. So, and it was kind of dry in terms of the trades on draft night and stuff like that. Yeah, nothing. So, there's so nothing I'm willing crazy to kind of, happened. I'm willing to kind of mix it all together. Um, I'm interested to see who is kind of the number one team left to talk about in your mind, because I certainly have an idea in my, in my head. So, I mean, I have a couple teams but um hmm that's pretty interesting i okay well i mean you want me i to think tell you who mine was yeah go ahead i think i was gonna say charlotte is the most interesting team on the board just by yep, virtue of they too. have two really interesting things they have the little mellow ball thing who to my money like once again like when I thought about like Luca or someone like that, right? I had this very strong idea of they were the best player in the draft, and I felt like it was pretty well founded and well thought out. I think Lamelo Ball was the best player available in the draft, but it was more of a gut feeling type thing. I'm interested to see what your take was because we never really swapped ideas here. So, but I think they're the most intriguing team because you have that pick, and then you have the Gordon Hayward signing. Um, in turn, what did you think about both of those things? Uh, I think with the Lamelo pick, they chose the best player that was available to them. Um, I don't. Mm. I. I'm very hesitant to say he was like the best guy in the draft. Um, I, I I'm not in love with Edwards or Wiseman. Like I'm not in really yeah, so that's, any of these guys. I'm neither I will give that caveat also. I'm not saying I think Lamella Ball's this incredible prospect. I'm a little scared of Edwards. Uh can we have a quick uh to paraphrase our old criminal law professor Kip Cornwell, can we have a moment on Anthony Edwards here? <laughs> Let's uh, have a moment on Anthony Edwards. Uh, so I'm sure, did you read about this like interview he did with ESPN, the magazine pre-draft where he said, yeah, like, yeah. I don't like basketball that much or whatever. Yeah. He didn't say yeah. that. We're probably taking the words out of context, but he had this moment and I kind of wanted to make a point. I rarely feel like I, I make points like this too, which is why I, I'm willing to do it in this respect. Like, I feel like I'm very generally pro player and I'm, skeptical of kind of traditional sporty conservative isn't the right word, but like these conservative in the sense of like uh, these narratives have been around for a while about players. Right. So I just wanted to give you an example and I'm using this to get around to me making one of those points, which is to say like, I've always been a little skeptical of the idea of like the, this player doesn't love, do they really love the game kind of thing, right? Like I think in oftentimes that's sort of code for like 
this person is fairly smart and they have other interests outside of basketball. And like, you know, we're skeptical of anyone who's like a free thinker or something like that. Like I'll give you Jalen Brown. I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of that talk about Jalen Brown um, when yeah. he was coming out of yeah. the draft. Like, does he really like basketball that much? And like Jalen Brown is an insanely smart, politically active, you know, uh, looks at the game in an interesting way, you know, all of that stuff has been proven wrong. I think there's certainly a racial component to that sort of stuff a lot. Um, and, and I'm generally skeptical of it. Anthony Edwards, what he said was legitimately bad. Like that was like, mm. uh, if you're his agent or whatever, you're like, what the fuck are you, are you talking about, man? Um, kind of thing. And just, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like I haven't watched that much of his like Georgia film or whatever, but that, that left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I don't know I mean, if you, you watch more of his, like, I don't really have as much of an idea about like his game or whatever, like Minnesota, I guess you're kind of, ta- it's almost like you're taking another swing after the Jarrett Culver thing on like a similar, you know what I mean? You're going for that wing who would be like the, the great compliment to to Towns and um and D D-Lo. uh but and like sure maybe he'll be really great who knows maybe he'll be like the best player in the league at some point maybe he'll be an MVP but um I don't know I just haven't heard that kind of buzz around him yeah yeah I I mean I feel like Edwards was kind of uh like a lot of guys labeled him like the most talented guy coming out or the guy that has the most potential to be yeah. an all-star coming out of out, out of this draft class and i i mean the quote was a little concerning like the fact like he's coming from he he really loved football like that that's what he talked about like that being his number one sport then transitioning to basketball then he it, it's just interesting he hasn't really like it seems like he is a little bit like he has a lot of other interests like he talked about him being like a, a, a really good rapper like he was con- he was comparing himself to little baby like uh challenging dame's throne so maybe that's where some of the uh uh, hey like, listen uh, i've always yeah. i actually get where he was coming from on that one to be frank, uh-huh. because Damian Lillard is a good rapper, and he's always – I've always said this. He's a good rapper by NBA standards. You know what I mean? Yeah, if yeah. a Damian no. Lillard song yeah. came up on Hot 97, you'd be like, oh, this is worse than everything else. You know what I mean? Right. Despite him being more of a lyricist and stuff like that. I actually did not mind Anthony Ed- – I totally got what Anthony Edwards was saying. Um, but uh, I will yeah, say, though, anyway. I'm curious to hear I'm, – I'm curious to hear – um, once he becomes more established, like you said in the quote, I'm curious to hear some of his tracks sure. and what sure. he Sure, I'd love to. So, I'd love to hear it. Who knows? I, maybe, maybe he'll leave the NBA behind entirely and just, you know, it'll be maybe a young thug will sign him to his record label or something like that. That'd be cool. I mean, would be cool. So, I, I mean. Um, can we real quick? I, it's stupid that we're doing. After saying we're going to bounce around from team to team, now we're just going to probably do this in order. But could we talk about Wiseman for like five minutes? We can try and keep it, keep it contained. And then, and then I, I want to talk about Wiseman because I, I wanted to really get my Wiseman skepticism on the record. 
Uh, I was talking about this with, with one of my friends, Ryan Quinn, um, and my other friend, Evan, who's kind of a warrior fan, a sort of bandwagony warrior fan, or like kind of a, was a fan in the early on Steph Curry days, rode sort of the wave through the height, and then it's kind of fallen off the bandwagon a little bit sort of thing. But I, anyway, we were talking about this, and I was just talking about this idea of like, how many, I, I'm not saying he's going to be bad, right? Just like DeAndre Ayton wasn't bad, right? How many times are we going to do this with the, with the big men? And it's not like we're, it's not like this is like Darko Milicic or something like that. It's not like James Wiseman is some like super stiff old school big man. Like I get that he's fairly athletic. I get that like, although he really, we don't have any evidence that he can shoot. There's this idea that maybe he's going to eventually be able to stretch the floor and stuff like that. And I, I don't know. I'm just still overcome with this. I, I'm just keep. I can't help feeling that like we're at the end of this era. Like eventually people are going to realize that centers are basically like, and listen, and the counterpoint my friend made to me, my friend Ryan made to me was well, but a team with Anthony Davis on it just won the championship. And I get that. And I have a a response to that, but that centers are that big men are going to be like running backs in football. where like, you're, you you should be spending your draft capital on the positions that generally win you championships in the following order, wings, guards, and then bigs, right? So it's better to take that crack at LaMelo Ball or, you know, whoever, maybe it's better to take the, oops, I'm blanking again. It's better to take a fucking flyer on uh, Tyrese Halliburton or Who's the what's the goddamn name of the French kid? I had literally one oh, beer Killian before Hayes. we did this podcast, Killian and now Hayes. my brain is. Maybe it's better to take friggin' Killian Hayes third, and and take or trade back, and then take uh and then take him at uh, Wiseman at fifth, uh, at eighth, or something like that. My my thought really with big men at this point is like, I just also kind of look back on the big men that have been taken high in the draft that really have been worth it and they're usually not always Joel Embiid wasn't um and I guess uh Porzingis kind of wasn't although like I'm not willing to necessarily put Porzingis in the I'm thinking of guys who can maybe be the best player on a championship team Porzingis is close but but not quite there but anyway, when you look at the guys in who were drafted in that top five big men sort of range and are have proven to be real difference makers, you look at a guy like Towns, who was basically a sure thing. Um, I know Okafor was – it was kind of him and Okafor, but if you look back at the analysis, most people thought Towns was the clear number one. You look at Anthony Davis, who was looked at the best prospect since LeBron James. Um and there was a third guy. I know. I think that's pretty much it. That's and pretty much it. I was going to say Embiid is the kind of exception to the rule, right? But completely different. I guess you could compare him to Wiseman in some ways, but Joel Embiid had literally just been learning how to play basketball, basically, by the time he got to Kansas. So, like, it's hard for me to get excited, and it's hard for me not to see it just kind of as part of this trend. And it's probably not fair to Wiseman to like lump him in, 
but but that's sort of this uh that's sort of my overall Wiseman take. I but I don't know, maybe you feel differently. I hadn't really ever talked to you about it. What do, what do you think about that theory I that mean, I just you, laid out? I mean, why you know me in terms of like the draft and like the way I see centers kind of going extinct um and why people shouldn't really be even drafting centers unless it's like once in a generation type of guy. Yeah. I think the hard yeah. thing about this draft was there isn't that guy in the draft. Yeah, no, that's true. So like, that's true. So you're just, you're just kind of taking shots. May, do I, do I give more leeway? Cause it's golden state possibly. Um, yeah. That that's taking him. Uh, another thing is like, I mean, the guy that's going to kill them is like LaMelo I think, or it's going to be LaMelo, Killian Hayes, or Tyrese Halliburton that are going to be the guys that I think if Golden State's looking back on this draft and being like, oh, probably shouldn't have taken James Wiseman. Those are the guys that might have killed us for, for taking Wiseman instead of those other guys. But, I mean, it's it's kind of like interesting to see some of like, um the like the lottery picks in this in this draft where Wiseman I think was the only true center taken. Uh a Kongwu is a power forward center, kind of like in the band like they were talking about him like Bam Adebayo. Um mm-hmm. and Jalen Smith, like he he's your guy, so you've seen him play a bunch of well, times. Well, Jalen Smith, uh, I think, is, is real quick, like literally two seconds, because my idea, of, I think the future of the center position in the NBA, like the base level of center position, is going to be like a guy like Maxi Kleber in, in, uh, in Dallas, which is basically a guy protect the rim and shoot threes, basically like yeah. do both of those things. And I think Jalen Smith has the possibility if he can fill out his body a little bit more to be that guy. Um, just wanted to interject with that, with that. Some people I'm, I was arguing with multiple friends, uh, Maryland fans who think he can be a stretch for it. I'm like, dude, I've been watching Zach Collins try and do that on my team for the last two years. You cannot be a sick. I don't care how athletic you think he is. You cannot guard fours in this league when you're six eleven, unless unless your foot speed is real, your lateral quickness is is once in a generation. I, I don't think it's possible. But um, sorry, I no, had yeah. to, I had to just get no, yeah. that take off into the ether real quick. Yeah, I I mean I totally agree. So like, like even when looking at those two big men in in the lottery, like Jalen Smith has like the tools of like he can pop out shoot the three. Uh, Okongwu, mm-hmm. he's like this. They're they're projecting him to be this elite elite defender slash rim protector. Um, yeah, Wiseman. Well, people the- think Wiseman. People think Wiseman will be that. I think it's a little bit more up in the air once you really delve into it. But I think right, people right. think he will be an elite rim protector. I don't know whether that will actually come to pass or not. But Yeah, and I think that's the question. Like, is he going to be able to rim protect enough or is he going to be able to stretch the floor enough uh, to be on the floor um, in crunch time? So that's going to be the question for a guy like Wiseman. Um so like I guess like kind of, like we we started off 
trying to talk about Charlotte and yeah, this was uh, completely or, my fault. So I, right. I apologize. No, 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 it's all good. But I did kind of want to track back to that. Um, yeah, let's because do I think it. we pretty pretty much talked about all the draft things that I wanted to talk about. I didn't want yeah. to really delve in too much deeper. But no, nope, that was about it for me. Charlotte Lamelo, uh, interesting move with him in conjunction with Gordon Hayward. Did not see that combination happening in Charlotte. Um, four years, one hundred twenty million dollars for Gordon Hayward, who's pretty much missed the equivalent of two seasons um, in terms of like all the injuries that he's had and all the games missed um, that he's had since Boston. Um, yeah. It's 30 million is a lot of money, man. <laughs> like, oh, it's I, too much money. It's objectively it's, too much money. Um, uh, but is it worth it for a team like Charlotte? Because they are not notorious in terms like, in terms of being able to attract free agents and they it's like a guy that they can point to and be like, Hey, look at this guy that we have. Um, Like, what are your feelings on that? And like how maybe, yeah, he would fit in. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, you brought up that, you know, does you texted me and you said kind of this idea of like the Charlotte sort of deserve credit for bringing in a, a quote unquote marquee free agent. And I think my counter to you was like, is Gordon Hayward really a marquee free agent at this point? Like meaning like other than the teams I had heard of him rumored for, if he was not going to stay with the Celtics were kind of like the Hawks level of team. Right. Like he seemed to more be like the teams. And part of that, to be fair, was due to the kind of salary cap structure that not salary cap structure, but the salary uh, distribution of cap space uh, across the league. Like not a lot of teams had the space to go out and sign, pay big bucks for a guy like Gordon Hayward. So I thought that kind of should factor into our weighing of, of all of those things. But from Charlotte's perspective, it's hard to make a clear reason because things are so warped in their world at this point that like, to me, I, I said this to you, like I think their idea is pretty much like, okay, we got LaMelo Ball. Um, he is, if he's not the best player in this draft class, like, or the best prospect in this draft class, so be it. But he is the biggest name in the draft class, um, certainly. Um, and I think their idea is like, we can't, and maybe they're like, we've tried this and didn't, and like, it failed. Like, I don't think that's really true, like, with what happened last year. But like, I wouldn't be surprised if they had the feelings from both from Michael Jordan to Mitch Kupchak to, to everyone else, like this idea of like, we can't afford to really do the rebuild in the traditional way. You know what I mean? We can't mm. languish in for three years and slowly find pieces and, you know, let LaMelo ball really develop and, you know, like kind of like what, what Atlanta did with Trey young. And I'll try and tie that back in in a second because you're seeing Atlanta maybe, get panicked and abandon that process as well. Right. Like it either yeah. kind of starts to happen or it doesn't and it gets scary. Right. So I think they think we can't afford to do that for multiple reasons. Like one, we're in a small market and need people in the, Oh, at some point people in the sands and need to make money. And I also think they'd probably be afraid uh, a guy like uh, with a family, like the balls with a personality, like 
of the balls, although I don't really have much of a beat on what LaMelo's personality is like. Maybe he's a, you know, it's not like Lonzo is a super outlandish personality seemingly, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's this fear that like, we can't really be bad because this is a rookie that will want out of here quick, quicker than most rookies would. Um, and I, and I think that's the rationale. Like, let's get, you're right about the injury stuff, but uh, Gordon Hayward's certainly a floor raiser. He's certainly a guy who at times in his career has, has shown an ability to be kind of the, the, the centerpiece of an offense and, and should ostensibly be a, a good second option. Um, not a necessarily good second option on a great team or whatever, but a, a worthy second option in an NBA offense. And, you know, to to his credit, before he had gotten hurt again last year, he um he was he was showing sort of a return to form, right? Like he was yeah. he was kind of really uh, doing Gordon Hayward things, for lack of a better phrase. And like, yes, I'm for purposes of this argument, underplaying my skepticism a lot. Like when a player has had that kind of injury history within a two-year span. Uh, generally, I think my default mode of thinking is if they if they don't continue to be hurt often, I would be surprised. So, like, I'm definitely willing to, um, to entertain the notion that it's going to be one of the worst contracts in the league at some point. But, um it's hard for me not to, it's hard for me to like super shit on the, on the, on the Hornets for this. Uh, it's kind no, of yeah. one, like, do I think it's an objectively good move? No. And this has kind of been a recurring, a weird recurring theme of this podcast, but like, no, I don't think it's an objectively good move, but like, I understand it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know what yeah. they do with the rest of Like, what do you do with a guy like Travion Graham now? I wonder if you like look to maybe move those guys for other, and we'll see what happens with Batum's expiring because they need to maneuver around pieces also to, to make this work. I mean, Christ almighty, the Terry Rozier contract on your books is like, uh, such an albatross at, at this point. Um, so maybe there are other moves to be made before you can fully evaluate it. But, you know, I yeah, it, it oh. kind of, I, I was, I was circling it down and then started to spin back out again. I think the point is I get it. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's possibilities of sign and trade possible uh, with Hayward getting signed by Boston. And then. Uh, yeah. Boston I want to hear, I want to, I want you to say your Boston take because. You seem to have more of a beat on Boston's perspective of things after. So after you give your 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 points, I wanted to kind of hear what you had to say. Yeah, about yeah. I mean, I I could I could well. get into Boston right now in terms of, uh, like, they're kind of capped out, don't you think? Like in terms yeah. of like, like this team, while good, and they made the I think they've made the Eastern Conference Finals three out of the past four years. Um, yeah. Like, I don't see much room for improvement. They ended up signing um, Tristan Thompson to fill that center spot that they had a lot of trouble with. And then Jeff Teague as a backup point guard. But like for, for all the things that you want to say about Hayward got overpaid $30 million for a year for him is 
crazy amount of money, which objectively, like you were saying, I agree with, like he was a guy that you could kind of throw in there and was like when he was healthy, he was good. He was good for them. Um, He, and I mean, there were a lot of growing pains and like a lot of like Ken Jalen Tatum and Hayward all play together. There were questions there. Um, Like was Hayward better than smart for the lineup? Um, I, it's just like, when you and and maybe they get something out of the hay get something out of the Hayward sign and trade um uh with Charlotte if they decide to construct it in that way and maybe they get a raw a, a piece back for Hayward but ultimately what ends up happening is they've lost Kyrie and Gordon Hayward in back-to-back off seasons and maybe it's no fault of their own but they've lost them for nothing basically um no assets in return uh because they've left in free agency and they weren't able to get any trades for them uh yeah it's kind of funny um it's kind of funny. I just had this thought of like, I don't know, remember the Danny Ainge kind of process, right? Where like they were sort of Ainge is this, I'm, I'm not saying this isn't, isn't the case or like that he's bad or anything, but this idea of like Ainge is this mastermind and they're accumulating all these assets and like eventually they're going to, you know, make this bit, you know what I mean? They're going to do these mastermind moves and, and end up with this incredible team. And kind of what ended up happening is like all their best pieces ended up being guys they drafted. It's kind of funny. Like the cornerstones of their team ended up being like Tatum, who they drafted, uh, uh, smart, who they drafted and uh, Jalen, who they drafted. And then like, they just signed Kemba. It's not like there was some like incredible trade, behind that and you're right it kind of they are who they are now like the one thing I would like say to some extent and I don't know if I texted you this or if I just thought it to myself was like I saw I saw Hayward to I saw Hayward to the Celtics as what say like Bogdan Bogdanovich was going to be to the to the Bucks you know what I mean like a nice piece that I don't really think materially changed their fortunes too much. And remember, if he had opted into his contract, he was going to be on the books for what, 28 or something like that. Maybe it was 34. even 32, 34. Did you just say? Yeah. So I don't know. It's possible that they felt like we, we don't even really want that on our book. We'd prefer to not have that on our books. If we're going to do a Tatum extension, which they did. Um, yeah. So it's kind of a tough, I think that stuff has to be mentioned as well. Like, I don't know if it's a completely, not that I think you were trying to do this, but I think it is more than like, they just let this guy walk. But, but I think, I think the, the, that view of things is worthy. Like you pretty much are coming back with your same team minus, um, minus Hayward plus Tristan Thompson, which is, which is great, but they were fine without a center last year. So I don't think having a real center is going to make them that much better. Right. They pretty much are going to be what they are. Right. Yeah, exactly. Unless Tatum and Brown take another jump up and that's always a possibility. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. I, 
I've been such a t- my Tatum skepticism has been. Although I I will fully admit, like yes, he took a gigantic leap. If he takes another leap next year, is t- Jason Tatum really going to be an MVP candidate? Like maybe I, if he is. I will come back on this podcast and I don't know what, what I'll do, but I'll, it will be the thing I am most wrong about if that happens. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it certainly could. Yeah. I've been more positive on Tatum, but I just, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how far, how much he grows uh, from last season to this season. We are running short on time, Andrew. So, uh one of the things that I wanted to do before we talk about our our teams is kind of just do a quick exercise overpaid properly paid or Ooh, underpaid okay. or all right so Joe Harris four years 75 million dollars <laughs> overpaid I feel like there's just this is just gonna be us saying overpaid over and over overpaid again. overpaid but I get it yeah, kind of. yeah. No, you know what yeah, I mean? I, yeah, Overpaid, yeah. I think, but what were you going to do? Sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. All right. I don't Fred, it doesn't hurt I as long as it doesn't hurt their maneuverability and like a potential hardened trade or whatever. I don't know what the logistics of that are, but um yeah, overpaid definitely. And I think you agree, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I I mean, well, I'll talk about it in a bit, but yeah. Um I'm not mad about it. Fred Van Vliet got re-signed four years, $85 million. Slightly overpaid, but, um, slightly overpaid, but I, I think, yeah, overpaid, but more reasonable than the Harris contract. Totally agree. Um, Danilo Gallinari, three years, $61.5 million. Uh, overpaid <laughs> <laughs> i mean there i mean there's jeremy grant three years 60 million dollars uh i think that's closer to based on this now thing that we've when you look at those other deals all the he looks a little bit more reasonable but still overpaid got it Casey would you rather have here. wait? Would you rather have Danilo for uh, just like you're on an average? Let's pretend you're on like a base level NBA team. Would you rather have uh, Danilo under that contract or Grant under that contract? I'd say Grant, right? Just from the perspective of with Danilo, I'm so scared of his longevity going forward, and oh, yeah. he's going to provide you so little on offense. I mean, on defense, that yeah, you know, totally. I think I'd rather have Grant definitely. I think I think uh, that's one to watch out for for Denver. Um, not yeah. that Grant was like this all-world game-changing player, but I think he, it's a little bit of like they could have paid, they could have you know signed him and extend and extended him, but they chose not to and just kind of let him go, thinking like, all right, maybe this is a luxury type of guy. Uh, yeah, I think with Porter's emergence, need. I think with right. Porter's emergence, they saw him as a little bit of a redundancy. But at the same time, I don't know. Millsap hasn't signed anywhere, right? If they're also no, letting, he, I don't think Porter's has he, he just. Yeah, so Millsap re-signed with Denver, and then okay. They, so they, I think they if they were Mike re-signing, Porter. if they were re-signing Millsap, I get it, uh, basically. But uh, but I see, I take your point definitely. Yeah. 
Um, so two more, uh, two more guys. Malik Beasley, four years, sixty million dollars. Yeah, overpaid. Definitely. And then, I mean, he's a, these are these are he's a twelve million a year player, fourteen yeah. maybe. I don't know. Yeah, Jordan Clarkson, four years, fifty-two. <laughs> four years, fifty-two million dollars. It's not out now. When you think about it, what does that really even out to a year? Seventeen. Uh, Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. It's slightly over. It's more the four years than the than the yearly salary, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and then KCP. Because generally, a bench player. Generally, you're not signing a bench player to that many years. Kind of yeah. is why it sounds why it sounds so absurd. Like if it were two years, twenty six, would you not, like not compare bad. it not to everything else? Yeah. So. Yeah, and then and then KCP just making money um, off of LeBron's back. Uh, three years, forty million dollars to go back to the Lakers. Like, huh. Like, Listen, man, that's, that's, a, that's a nice life. Sports. Yeah, shout out to Clutch Sports. Remember, he had been on those one-year deals. He had been on those one-year deals. Who one knows? Maybe there were some million-dollar deals. Like, yeah, you know, that's true. Poor play. guy. <laughs> yeah. Poor, poor KCP. Um, so I guess my overall thesis is like, there's still money out there. <laughs> like the yeah. NBA, for for as many owners as you know, people are saying we're losing a ton of money. Like. They're still handing out contracts, like yep. uh, still guys getting paid. So not that big. Like while the NBA's lost a ton of money because of the pandemic, like contracts are still going out. Like and yeah, guys and you are could getting probably paid. you could probably make the argument that um that that idea. Well, and also remember, I think the NBA, there's going to kind of be this escrow system. So I think maybe, maybe teams know that if the league stays in a, in a financially rough place, they won't have to pay out these contracts in full. But I would also hope, I don't know, don't know a damn thing about economics, but you'd hope these contracts are being made with the, with these, these, the knowledge or kind of, it's uh, the point I'm trying to make is, you know, like it's a good, I don't know, like there are these good indicators in the stock market, like, you know, there are people showing confidence or whatever. And I'm hoping that this is a projection of confidence that, you know, by next year or whatever, we'll be back next, the season after this, we'll be back to some sort of regular, normal, fully fan, um, fully fanned situation in the league. Totally agree. So, Andrew, uh, close out the podcast, like always. We got to talk about our teams. Um, I'll go really quick on the Nets. Like, yeah, I want to just we, – we texted a little bit about it, but I kind of want to hear you go deep on the Harden thing. Uh, I mean – Were you, you going to go somewhere it, right? else? No, yeah, I mean, of course. I gonna, like, Harris is like – that's a nice piece. I, I'm enjoying the depth. Like I've talked to a couple different people, like friends about that are Nets fans. Like it's pretty split in terms of like, do we give up all these guys for Harden, or do we like, uh, or do we um, do we just keep them and keep the depth of this squad? Because like it is a, a really deep team. We haven't seen KD and Kyrie play together. Um, you know, Karis Levert, all these Spencer Dinwiddie. Like there's some interesting pieces. But I think if the deal is on the table with Harden coming to the Nets, 
you got to do that deal. Like, I, I, I don't know if people understand, like, how good Harden is, but you yeah. kind of have to do it. Um, yeah. No, you're completely uh, right. I mean, you know like why it's split? It's split yeah. because if they trade for him, they are going to be the best, least fun team in NBA history. They are uh, going to yeah. be... They are going to be less fun than the than the Golden State Warriors because although the Golden State Warriors were inevitable and you know all that stuff, like at least they had that somewhat fun framework of the of the of the Warriors to kind of operate under. Like the Steph and Clay are, were I, It's hard yeah. to even. Like, it's hard to even really get. It feels like it will be. It will be like everything people hated about the Harden Rockets, like with that kind of Warriors, KD Warriors thing mixed in, right? And uh, I think that's why people are skeptical, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, your goal is to win a championship and your chances of it are much higher in the Harden construction than the other construction, I think. So yeah, it's so as simple I, as that I, in my eyes. I agree with that. It's like the emotional part of me is kind of like I do want to see it like the way it's currently constructed because yeah, there are know, like nice pieces. As well, I I would feel like that too, right? Like I would kind of want to see the, the Kyrie KD construction and see how it plays out, and then like if that doesn't work, yeah, yeah. trade for Harden. Yeah. but I don't and know then, if like, it's gonna work out like that, unfortunately. Right, and I think, like, it's, like, Harden joining this team would kind of be, like, me ripping on every – like, I've ripped on, like, all these super teams and things like that, all yeah. these guys getting together. And, like, the fact that my NBA team becomes the very thing that I've hated all, like, yeah. like since LeBron announced the decision – uh, going to Miami, it would just be really hard for me to be like, "Yay, let's go Nets!" Even though, like, if like they would have probably the best. Well, shot especially because of none of them the even. It would be really would it not? I guess the Clippers were right, but the Clippers were. At least the Nets have. I guess the Brooklyn thing made the Nets more like the Clippers, but there's still a regionality to them. Like you grew up a Nets fan before any. I was going to say that it's not really true, but they. It sucks to have a super team where no player actually was. Dra- it would have a very hired guns feel to it, even more than the team does now, right? Because at least yeah. it was a hired guns thing. But like you're like, we got this through building a good culture and you know right, right. being savvy and blah blah blah. Whereas once you get hard and like there's no bones about it that like it's yeah. just kind it's of like, like the NBA super team formula happened to happen to your team basically. But uh, right, you and know, I, yeah, I, I think I'm, it's like we sold their soul for Harden. Whereas, like, yeah, like while KD and Kyrie are kind of using the Nets, like the guy, the secondary pieces, like are guys that Sean Marks ended yeah. up finding when they were bad. Like Dinwiddie, yeah. Karis Levert was drafted when he coming out of Michigan. Joe Harris was like off the scrap heap. Like these guys were guys. Like all of the ancillary pieces were guys that grew up with the Nets, like Jared Allen got drafted. Um, so, like, part of it does feel somewhat Chris like... Chris Chioza right, like, got drafted. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. What's going to so, happen like, to Chris Chioza? 
My four-year-old <laughs> daughter just when the Harden trade happened, my four-year-old daughter looked up at me and said, "What's gonna, ha- Daddy? What's gonna happen to Chris Chioda?" <laughs> yeah, like yeah, Rodion's Karuks, things like like uh, these yeah. guys. Yeah, like these guys are like guys at least like they they struggled with the Nets like. Kyrie and KD didn't like they haven't gone through it and if Harden gets traded like they really haven't gone through anything so it's it'll yeah it'll be interesting to see how it plays out but uh yeah uh that's pretty much my idea about the Nets I did want to hear about your take on the Blazers because I think they are a far more interesting team and this they they've had like this underrated offseason I think if I didn't know a Blazers fan yeah, um, and I wasn't friends with one, then I wouldn't be as clued in. But since I am friends with you and like you're a huge fan of theirs, I get to like I I'm I've been tracking like every single move that they've had, and they've ha- quietly had like a fairly decent off season. Yeah, I mean, it feels like one of the few moments in the Neil Olshay era where people are kind of objectively saying he did a good job as opposed to saying like he did a good job for what he could do in Portland, which has always been that, is that actually true? Or is it kind of a, you know what I mean? Is it an excuse or whatever? Because I remember, you know, like stuff like last year with the Hassan, like, I don't know, did people at the time say that Hassan Whiteside trade or like, signing Ken Bay or trading for Ken Baysmore were good moves or not, or like that their off season was underrated then. I don't, I don't know, but this feels like the first time in, in quite a while. And it feels like the first Blazer team since kind of that old uh, Damian Lillard, Wesley Matthews, Nicola Batum, Lola Marcus Aldridge, Robin, uh, Robin Lopez, um, or yeah, no, Robin Lopez. Uh, construction I've said construction a lot tonight that I fell in love with like it feels like the first time that like you look up and down the bench of a of a Portland Trail Blazers team and say like I like that guy I like that guy I like that guy I like that guy um which is cool I mean Robert Covington um the trade was Robert Covington for their first round pick this year I believe it was 17 and and a protected pick next year um is that a steep price I won't reiterate what I said about draft picks before, but I, I would say it's it's a, a fair price for it's a fair price for fixing what seemed like the most uh, a hole in your roster that had been maybe never filled since that last roster that I mentioned. Um, so I'm excited for that. I, I said on Twitter, like I felt like Robert Covington was, and listen, I'm level-headed about him. Like his shooting has over the years been become, while he's certainly a better shooter than a guy like, you know, say Alfred Aminu who had been on the Blazers or a better shooter than, you know, Zach Collins or, you know, Ken Bazemore, you know, even like Trevor Ariza. He, you know, there. It's less of a. He's not like a forty percent guy, but he shoots and he's a defender, a great, a good defender. Um, maybe not great, and that's why he's overrated. But he brings a wing defense to a team that was sorely lacking at it, and that was always the yeah. thing that people would say, right? Who's the wing defender? And now they have someone they can point to, and and there's a worth in that. 
And then when you kind of take that in with the rest of the moves, kind of trading back for cancer uh, for pretty much nothing. Uh, no offense to Mario Hazonia, you're pretty much an NBA nothing. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. Uh, Derek Jones Jr., you know, a nice trade. I think I think that's one where, like, people have graded on a curve a little bit and now said it's part of this great offseason when, like, I think if you went back and you were like, they're going to sign Derek Jones Jr. with their mid-level, you'd go like, oh. But then when you look at all the other signings in the offseason, you're like, oh, that's great, basically. And the Derek Jones Jr. signing actually calls to mind. Uh, in the summer of, I think it was 2015, one yep. of Neil O'Shea's first free agent signings was Al Farouk Aminu. Uh, it was four years, 40 million or something like that. And I remember people hating that and it ended up being a great deal. And I, I kind of could see a similar thing happening with Jones. With Jones. I don't know. Do you say Derek? Do Jones, you say Jones? Jones? Do you say Jones Jr.? Jones Jr. Yeah. <laughs> DJJ. Um, I don't know. Uh, but uh, like, I, I'm happy, man. You know, as a Blazer fan, I'm kind of conditioned at this point to like, that's not fair to say because they've, they've, they've been a pretty good team to root for over the years, but I'm, I, I'm conditioned to temper myself a little bit um, and kind of want to wait and see uh, like, you know, if, if you're the follow-up question is inevitably coming with to, of like, did this like make them a Western conference contender or something like that? no, Probably not, but um, does it make it so that one, their place in that top six of the West is solidified, and two, does it make it more likely that, like, if you look at the bell curve of outcomes, did it make the higher end of the outcomes a little bit fatter? Yes, and I think that was worth, you know, whatever price they paid to get there. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm pretty happy, you know, and yeah. I think there'll be a fun, I'm excited to go it for the first time. Like I don't feel, and I'm sure, you know, shit will go awry as often happens in NBA seasons, whether you're a fan of the Blazers or anyone else, but um, I'm as excited to watch this team as I had been in, in quite a while. Yeah. And I do have to say like this, like I was saying all of last year, this is the season for the Blazers to kind of push yeah, their we both said into that. the middle I, of the I, table. I feel like that was right. Yeah. And I think this is their best shot. Like, yeah. The while the Lakers are good, and I I mean they're I think they're the favorites in the West. Clippers are solid too. Like it's not inconceivable to me to see the Blazers like push one of those teams to seven games in the second round or even like upset one of those teams I like, thought you were going to go more likely I think it's more likely that they get to three than they push one of those teams to seven games but um but I I, I understand what you're saying or I think it's more like, of the idea like if a guy goes down that's what they always say like yeah of course yeah and I I, I did want to say this one thing before we kind of sign off because we have gone way over time what we agreed to um, did we? Is, I thought. Yeah. What did we go? One forty. We went one forty. Yeah, one forty-five. Yeah, we're we're trending towards one fifty right now. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, yeah. But one of the well, things but I that felt I did, like we could have gone if we hadn't 
said we were going 190, I mean 130, we might have gone 205, right? So we Damn probably it, could have gone even do, I wait, we're going to go too because I wanted to well, – we'll have to skip commercial corner for next time. No, no, no. <laughs> we might have to. All right. So, but the one thing I did want to say is you have so many guys now that if there's a trade that bubbles up in the middle of the season that's kind of attractive, yeah. I think that's a possibility. No, you made that point. You made that point, which I think is right. You have to be happy that Olshay did take that. He was willing to put the chips in the middle of the table. I always thought that was something that they had to do after they signed Damian Lillard and CJ to big extensions. Uh, I'm glad that they were able to do it without breaking the backcourt up. Because I, I said, like, yes, CJ for Aaron Gordon would have been cool. But, like, I don't think – I think this gave them a better chance in the long run oh, than, is, like, say, that yeah. trade did. Right? Oh, for sure. I think this and is I think that. When you give yourself this many guys, like, does it always work out, really? No, but, like, at least you – maybe there is a chance for a Zach Collins trade or, you know, something else. I don't know if Rodney Hood's playing really well, whatever. Like, you have enough guys where, like, if that guy becomes available, maybe you can maybe you can put yourself in the running a little bit. Gary Trent Jr., you know? Gary Trent Jr. Yeah. and Zach Collins is not a bad uh, – is not a bad baseline for a, for a good trade at, at some point down the line. Now, I'd, I'd certainly too. rather just see those guys play well, but, yeah. Yeah, Simons too. If he overperforms, yeah. he's gonna get some minutes at the back. Yeah, and it seems like it too. seems like the it seems like that's the one spot where uh, where Olshay is going to stand pat. Like it seems like they're going to give Simons one more chance to be that third guard, and uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but, yeah. but instead of going down that rabbit hole, let's pivot. I mean, I almost feel like we should toss up. We could have gone. We could go commercial, or I could talk about my chips i got at friggin 99 ranch market maybe we'll save that for a different time i mean because korean snack corner like i don't know if people to people who aren't friends with me listening to this podcast i moved to jersey city out of my my parents house at at the age of 25 pat on the back for me which yeah. i was gonna say i'm sarcastically saying pat on the back for me that is not to disparage you uh, a man who uh <laughs> who loves his parents and lives at home with them. And yeah, that, that yep. there's nothing wrong with that. Um, uh-huh. Anyway, but uh, I was my local grocery store is this, this Asian market called 99 Ranch Market. I, I believe it's a Taiwanese chain. Um, they have American stuff, but they have a lot of Asian stuff. And when I was walking through the aisles, because, like, you know, you, you get the stuff you need. It's a great place to, like, cheap produce, good meat, like, cheap meat for that's of good quality but it's fun to walk through the snack aisles because they have a lot of just like general i guess asian kind of kind of snacks and it seems like koreans have the snack game on lock like it feels like they're the leaders on the asian continent in, in the snack food game but maybe i'm a little bit biased from what you've shown me over the years but i felt like i, I it's hard to to you know you don't i don't want to be like I'm certainly not, you know, tokenizing Milkis or whatever, but I, I felt happy. I was like, oh, this is like Korean snack quarter come to life. I feel like I know my shit a little bit. Um, you're, you're like, yeah. So I, so I wanted to I thank you. I wanted to thank you publicly for that. And like, you're going to have to be poor, steering me towards stuff. Like we can maybe do 
uh, we can keep Korean snack corner going remotely. Oh yeah. I mean, that's always a, a real possibility. Uh, one, one of the things that is that delves into Korean snack drink, not maybe yeah. corner snack corner. It's like, it's a drink is an alcoholic beverage that I discovered o- over quarantine that's Ooh. called Maku. And it's, uh, it's, to me, it's it's a really interesting taste because there's this very traditional Korean rice wine uh, that's called makoli. That it's cloudy, right? People, I literally watched yeah. a YouTube video about this yeah. a couple weeks that, ago. Right, right. That 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 it looks very cloudy, like the 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 look of the drink. But maku is like the carbonated version of Makuli and it's flavored. So they'll have mango flavor. They'll have huh. um, blueberry flavor that might be uh, something that you want to try. And maybe Where give the hell do I get that, that though? Because I don't think they have, I have to see if they have liquor at this place. Where do I have to go to get that though? Like um, this, this is the like 99 ranch market was like, I kind of like this. Cause that was like my portal. But like at the end of the day, that, that doesn't make me cool. Like it, it's, it's nice to, to have a base beyond your own and sort of get into it's, it's nice to, you know, kind of have, have a little bit of knowledge in, in a window you wouldn't be able to have otherwise. But I feel like if I'm, if I'm fucking bringing Maku back to the crib, like at that point, like, uh, like at that point, I'm I'm transcending to another level of coolness with this stuff. But am I do do I have to take my car over to like Palisades Park or something like that to to get my so, hands on there? Um, I know they have them outside of Pal Park, um, but that is where I ended up getting my uh, Maku. Um, I know you can order it online as well. Oh, if you can buy it um, online though, maybe that's, that's, that's going to be the move. Yeah. Right. So it's, I, I feel like that might be, uh, the next. No, that's a great, that what's, the best fla- what's the best flavor? Uh, I'm partial to, so they have original blueberry and mango and I like mango. Uh-huh. A lot. Is this so, how uh, how flavored is like? Give me a like compared to like a white claw. Give me like a general like. Is this so like so much better than that? I wouldn't say it's so much better. It's just a Got different it. flavor profile. I yeah. would say it's a lot more concentrated in terms of sweetness. So it's sweeter right yeah. off the bat, and then the aftertaste is a little bit more. Uh, it has that more traditional like rice wine taste. Uh, at well, the- I think my idea here, I think I'm going to look into getting this online. And um, I think as we get towards the holidays, right? Like as we get towards the holidays, like the NBA season will be getting re- ready to tip off. Like maybe we're going to preview the season. I think as sort of a holiday treat, I will get my hands on this stuff and we will do do a boozy version of uh of korean i guess it'll be korean beverage corner at that point maybe we do yeah. it at the top of the show and just let things get get a little crazy from there but yeah um, i mean I'm, why I'm, not? I'm down to do that i mean we unfortunately the blazers did not take the lakers to seven games so i did not get to we did not do a drunk live stream of 
of Blazers <laughs> like the Game Seven. But, yeah, um, we, we can we have hope really maybe a tamer that. version of that. Um, real quick before we go, and this is pushing us over, but you know, I feel like we get rejuvenated as we start as we go into these go into these moments. And I'll keep it brief because it's not a crazy commercial corner. I actually wouldn't have done it if I didn't see this commercial tonight. But um, there's this commercial out. Uh, I was watching the NFL game today, and I think it's been it's been a while. It's kind of an interesting brand partnership. Larry Fitzgerald um, is appearing in these commercials for Rocket Mortgage, and Rocket okay. Mortgage is, I guess, it's owned those Rocket Mortgages uh, owned by uh, Quicken, I think, Quicken Loans, uh, you know, Evil Empire in some ways, uh, Dan Gilbert, Dan you Gilbert. know, yep. it, it is what it is. I'm not going to front on, I'm not going to be angry at Larry Fitzgerald for kind of being the, uh, associating his very friendly face with what I see as an inheritory, inherently predatory product. It is what it is, though. But um, he's in this rocket mortgage commercial. And in the commercial, um, there's a father yelling at his two kids. Not yelling, but like lightly chastising his two, maybe seven, eight-year-old kids, a boy and a girl, for playing ball in the house. And they're in an apartment. You see they're in an apartment. And uh, he looks over after, or someone says like, "Hey," and he looks over, and it's like, "Oh, it's Larry Fitzgerald," and he's in a in a in a chair, and he's like, "Hey, man, you know, look, they don't have anywhere to play." And you cut to the window, and there's a city outside, um, and he's like, "You know, with Rocket Mortgage, you can, uh, you know, you can do get a mortgage instantly or whatever." And you just see the father on his phone. And he's going through the process and like they don't. And then it's just like, but he clicks on his phone and ostensibly buys a mortgage. And then he's like, thanks. And then like, there's a bit where like, he's like, will you sign this? And the dad goes, oh, and like goes, oh, okay. And the dad throws the ball and it hits a lamp. And the kids are like, don't play ball in the house. Cute. Right. But what I was focused on was this idea that Larry Fitzgerald, like a mortgage is not a, something you take lightly it's like a 30-year commitment like you're probably at a very (laughs) high interest rate like this guy didn't even like he didn't he he was doing this on a whim so he hasn't looked at any real estate or anything like that this dude just straight up bought a third a mortgage on a whim because larry fitzgerald uh told him to and i think that really speaks to the I think that makes Larry Fitzgerald maybe one of the greatest pitchmen of all time. Like, okay, you know, like Shaq might get you to buy a pizza, right? You know, like maybe Baker Mayfield gets you to buy like insurance, but like Larry Fitzgerald is out here selling 30 year mortgages. Uh, and that's, and that's a kind of uh, persuasion. I, I don't think much, uh, that many other pitchmen have in this day and age. So shouts out to him. Well-earned. Well earned by Larry Fitzgerald. So, um, Andrew, as always, thank you for your insight into the NBA world, um, versioning um, Asian snack, Korean snack expert, and always an aficionado of the greatest of commercials. So, Andrew, thanks again for coming back onto the podcast. Uh, We'll definitely have you back on before the season starts, probably in about a month or so. Uh, So, Andrew, thanks again for coming on. Anytime, man. Thanks.